All right, say hi to Joshua. You know, I haven't heard from him in a while. Um, there was a, uh, I think the last thing I got is don't send many packages here. So. Really? I wonder why that is. I guess if he told us, he'd have to kill us. I don't know. Um, yeah, I know. Well, he's having internet anyway, so we'll hear it all later. Yeah. Well, you can't hear us. This will all come out in the editing. Um, anyway, so I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I hope. I hope. Uh, I hope that's a sign that he's heading home. Um, all right, we're on the uh, we're on the ninth plague. Ninth plague. Um, let's just read it. Here we are in, uh, Exodus ten, uh, twenty chapter uh, verse twenty one through twenty nine. <coughs> what what had just happened? Yeah, well, which was why? Great minds. Yeah, you guys are amazing. Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart yet again. We see him coming to frame here. Locusts. Locusts. Eating all the green stuff. In right. Egypt. Right, so there's nothing green left. Um, and we'd had a, a warning. Let them go. I know you're not going to let them go. Locusts are coming. Everything that was that they had hope in, the remaining plants that they had hope in, were gone. Everything's gone. So then we move into verse 21. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt. A darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt, Three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. But Moses said, You must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take them to serve the Lord our God. And we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take care never to see my face again. For on the day you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, As you say, I will not see your face again. All right. Uh, Things are getting a little tense between Moses and Pharaoh's relationship. Um, what's, What's going on here? Was there a warning this time? Did you have an audience? Let my people go. If you don't, darkness is going to be on the land. Was there any of that? What have we seen at the end of these little cycles? The last of the three, we're seeing it again here. It goes right into it to show that the third plague of the cycle is over, right? 
And that's what we have here. Do you remember, we've talked about this, who's the chief deity in Egypt at this time, 18th century? Who's the chief deity? Do you remember the, the, the chief? Ra. Ra. Do you remember what he's the, kind of the god of? The sun. Boom. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 the way the, the theology worked was, you know, Ra would rise and from the east and have this beauty, the, 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 the harvest would come in because of the sun and, and, and blessing and all this. And then when he would set, it would be darkness. It would be like, you know, the, 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 the idea was gloom, um, uh, judgment, death. This is the, the theology of the cycle of the sun in Egyptian um, uh, mythology. So, here we have a situation where God wills it and Ra's kingdom is completely covered and darkened in judgment and death. That's the idea being presented here. But yet Ra is shining on the Israel. Yeah. <laughs> You're missing, missing the point. What does, what does that tell you? That it's not really Ra. Ra is robbed. Um, he is he, he's he's humiliated. This sun god can't shine on the people who praise him, who worship him. The darkness falls. The darkness of of God's judgment falls upon Ra and the Egyptians, and his realm is one of death, judgment, and hopelessness. Ra is is hidden and unable to shine upon the Egyptians. A thing that, that I find very interesting about this. It's a darkness to be felt. What does that mean? Darkness to be felt. Just a guess is maybe it's so dark. Maybe it's not a literal feeling, but it's just like this, this oppressive weight. It's, it's so dark that nobody can hide from it. It's not like it's just not very light, and it's dusk, and you know, maybe it's so dark that you, you can't do anything. It's oppressive. There's a, there's a, there's a, the word also has a, a, a connotation, a darkness to be handled. You can play with it. It's dark. It's, it's so strong. You feel it. It's to, to be handled. I was San Francisco, the island of prison of San Francisco. What's that? Alcatraz. I'm sorry, I was going to say Azkaban. So. <laughs> yeah. When you take it to the things they do is they take it down and they put you one of the things and they turn out all the light, all the lights for two minutes. And they tell you that, you know, it's going to be two minutes. They do because the dark is so oppressive, you feel it. And it is the longest two minutes of your life. Hmm. And it's the weirdest sensation. Well, I have a friend that went on a mission trip to India. She got off the plane in daylight and said the darkness was so oppressive. She felt it as a weight on her. It was the spiritual darkness that she felt. And I, th- I think that's kind of what that indicates too. It's just a physical manifestation of, of the spiritual darkness that they were The verb that's used here is only used I think in this form one other time and it's and it's Samson when he's blinded and in Dagon's temple he has a little boy to help him feel for the columns before you know he brings the house down that that's 
that's the, the verb. He can feel it to try to, in, in the darkness, groping for something. I don't, I mean, we talk a little bit about, about feeling the darkness. That, that's just a weird way to describe it. Some have argued that, it's, that it was like a really big sandstorm because of, you know, the locust had eaten everything. There was nothing to keep the, the, the dirt on the, on the plains. And it just whipped it up. It was this really wicked sandstorm that usually lasts for three days and blah, blah, blah. I, it, I just don't see that in the text. I mean, this is a, why would you have light in the, the Israelites? Which is an interesting picture, isn't it? Um, we'll get there in a minute. What, what, does, um, what does the text indicate the Egyptians are unable to do? Look at verse 23. What, do, what, what are they un, unable to do? It shuts the place down. Uh, they can't see each other. Can't see each other. It sounds like ultimate depression. They can't rise from, can't, from their place. You know. Can't work. Visit. Pick flowers. You know. Can't move. They didn't have any generators. They didn't even prepare a meal. So maybe they're fasting for three days. I don't know. In preparation for... Um, so you have... They can't see each other. So there's no communion. There's no community. Right? Isolated. In a, in a, in a sea of people, isolated in the darkness. And they can't go do anything. They can't... What can the Israelites do that the Egyptians can't do specifically? Okay, other than everything, what's, what does it say? What do, what do they have in, in the Israelites' houses? The darkness for the Egyptians is so oppressive, they can't even turn on a light in their house. Some, something about what's going on here suppresses even the ability to light a lamp. That's weird. Is that weird? And it's not like you can't find it. I mean, I've... We've had the lights go out at our house. We live in the country. And, and you know, it hurts your toes, stubbing and everything. They're eventually going to find a flashlight. Um, this, they, couldn't, oh, they couldn't turn on anything. It was so oppressive. Even the light they would try to turn on was like darkness. And yet look at the contrast. In Israel, they had light in their dwellings. Well, what's the picture there? Jesus is the light of the world. Always a good answer in Sunday school. Who who gives light? Ra or God? Yahweh. Who controls it? And they can do nothing to bring light for themselves. It's only by the grace of Yahweh that the Israelites have light. And Pharaoh's heart is darkened and hard. And this reflects what's going on, not just with Pharaoh, but with the Egyptians themselves. <clears throat> it's pitch darkness. Verse 22, there's that, that pitch darkness. That literally, the, the, if we were to translate that, it would be a dark darkness was in the land. What do we know about the, the doubling of words in Hebrew? It's super important. It, it really Jesus. emphasizes it. Yeah. It's not just dark, it's dark. It's, it's, 
Well, remember the remember the uh, the the battle of the the kings in in Genesis when we talked about that lo those many moons ago, and it talked about the king of Sodom falling into not just a pit but a pit pit right there because you know there are pits and then there are there are pits and so this is a big pit that he falls into it's just to give you this idea of a trap for this guy it's the same thing here. Well, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. We see this ramping up of God's holiness using that phrase. That's the kind of the idea here, not holiness, but the dark darkness. It emphasizes the judgmental nature of this ninth plague. This is a serious, um, a serious judgment. The three days uh, kind of gives a picture of finality, and possibly the judgment, the final judgment on all the gods. Of, of Egypt. Um, all right. This, this light, dark metaphor picture uh, is used again and again and again throughout Scripture. It's a common refrain. Light generally signifies covenant or relational blessing from God, and darkness reflects judgment, curse, and death. We'll talk about that a little bit later, but. Um, you know, it's, it's weird because it, it's, it's just a few verses that talk about it. And it's not something as, you know, um, as, as wow, there's not a wow factor with, with the language as, you know, locusts come out of nowhere, frogs everywhere. This is dark. Just the absence of light. And it brings Pharaoh to a very interesting place. What does, what does, how does he respond? What does he say? Well, it looks like he kind of, you know, he feels like he's given, I guess. He's like, okay, I'll let you guys go, like, but I want to keep your herd and cattle. What does he say specifically to them? He's like, go serve your, the Lord, your little ones also may go with you. Your little ones also may go with you. What did he say about the little ones in the previous plague? That they couldn't go. What did he say that, that would, the Lord be with you if I ever let your little ones go? Right? Didn't he just say, God's only going to exist. I'll only know he exists if I ever let your little ones go. It takes one plague later. And it's just darkness. Right? Does that tell you about the significance of this darkness? You talk about two minutes, in about three days. Well, and they didn't know it was just going to be three days. Either. Right, right. Just. just three days. That's when I heard someone talk about Christ and when, when he died for three days, and they said, well, it was just three days. I'm like, <laughs> just three days. <laughs> Too much Princess Bride going around. <laughs> He's mostly dead. Um, he's made to regret his previous condition about leaving the families behind but he places another condition upon their leaving what is it you mentioned it Lindsay what why why would he do that well I don't know if he's thinking about it at the time but they can't sacrifice to God without their herds and their flocks so maybe he's thinking if I take this away they still can't sacrifice or maybe they can't survive without having food or I think it's both of those. I think it's both of those. You can't take your possessions with you. Right. Your 
You've got your freedom. Jump at the chance. You're not going to make it far in the wilderness without food, without the other things that animals would provide. What's the other thing, other than friendship, that animals would would do by if the Egyptians kept them? What would what would be the benefit? What had happened to their animals? They got ground swatted, and so they're looking at replenishing maybe some of their herd by keeping the herds of the of the Hebrews. What's Moses' response? <laughs> uh, no, you didn't. He doesn't negotiate, does he? And then he schools Pharaoh about what is to happen. He says, um, You must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Uh, literally, it's indeed you will let us have. You will give us. Um, what's he saying there? Of who, uh, whose herds is he talking about? Whose animals? Jesus. No, that's not good. <laughs> well, I guess in a certain way, yeah, because cattle on a thousand hills, but that's Does not really. Does have any herds in one Apparently, there's some. Yeah, they stole them back from the. Maybe there was that, but there's also the idea that some Egyptians kept their herds in the barns, like God had commanded. But they stole them. So, what? uh, Notice the distinction he's making. You, indeed, Pharaoh, are going to give us of what you have so that we can worship God, our God, Yahweh, the one who actually makes the light in the dark. Uh, and you're going to give us, and, and we're leaving with, with our flock also. He doesn't compromise here. Not only will they leave with Pharaoh's flocks, but also their own. It is. He's commanding the king of Egypt here. I mean, he's he's kind of got some leverage, right? Have they ever said that before? Nope. He's commanding him. And, 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 I, and I'm... I'm I would think, what would be the natural response of the king in this situation? I've still got power. I can't see it, but I've still got power. Uh, And notice the irony here. What's his threat? What's Pharaoh's threat? Now, picture this. He makes that statement while it's pitch black. That's Take care he, never to see my face again. I can see it now. That's because he couldn't kill him there because he couldn't see him. <laughs> I'm over here, Marco. <laughs> Take care never to see my face again. There's irony there. He's actually ridiculing himself. The day you see my face, he's in total darkness. And Moses confirms, Pharaoh, you're in total darkness. <laughs> I'm not going to see your face again. Uh, because we're out of here. We're leaving. Moses knows what's coming. It's the 10th plague. And they're leaving. The Hebrews are leaving soon. And Incidentally, he does see him again, though, right? In chapter 12, 31, when they're 
just get out, take everybody, get out. What does he mean then? We have a contradiction in Scripture. It can't be true. Let's throw it out. Let's go fishing. Right? Moses does see his face again. How do we reconcile that? What is he talking about? Darkness means more than darkness. It means he's under judgment. Your face is darkened by judgment and you're not getting out of it. I won't see your face again. I won't be coming to you with a word of the Lord offering mercy like I've done for the past nine plagues or, or eight plagues. You're not going to have mercy. I won't see your face again. That, that's the idea here. You're under judgment. Um, and so that's it. The next time he sees Pharaoh's face will be clouded in total judgment. All right. Just a, those are just a few verses there. So, uh, any any comments on that? Any questions on 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 the whole uh, outlay of of the plague? No. Well, how do we know it's three days? Just three days. Verse 20, verse 22. It says that no one rose from his place for three days. In 22 at the end it says, was pitch darkness oh, in all okay. the land of Egypt three days. It was just weird that like for three days nobody gets up. It says no one can rise from his place. And then Pharaoh's calling Moses. and like Maybe Moses is the only one who can. Rise from, and, yeah, rise from your place might not mean like get out of bed. It might just mean... Nobody left their house really. Yeah. You know, they didn't go out and shop. They didn't yeah. get food or whatever. They just you know, normal lives stops for three they days. Didn't rise, they didn't leave their house. Maybe. Yeah, still kind of it awesome. Like it just talks about a darkness that you can feel, and then Moses was able to get out in it and go. And yeah. Yeah. Night vision goggles. <laughs> I think the idea with night vision, you have to have some light to work with, though, right? I mean, all right. Always a good answer in Sunday school. Uh, the contrast between light and dark uh, is, is, you see it again and again and again in Scripture. And darkness, uh, revealed this way, generally involves judgment. It, it involves a, 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 an indication of judgment. Revelation 8 um, references it it's pretty stark there in the uh, verse 12 it says the fourth angel blew his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck and a third of the moon and a third of the stars so that a third of their light might be darkened and a third of the day might be kept from shining and likewise a third of the night and then in 16 it gets even more intense the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. And look at the response. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and repented? No. And cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. In judgment, they're still cursing God. That's the darkened heart. That's what Pharaoh is doing. I'm going to kill you the next time I see you. If I could just find you. This is the same idea. The heart is hardened and they curse God in the midst of being judged by God rather than cry for mercy. And then the, the language used in Revelation is very similar to what we see in Exodus on this seal. 
And that's intentional. You know, we talked about this before. The Exodus plagues are the prototype for God's judgment on unbelieving on the unbelieving world. Um, Jesus would say it this way, John three nineteen, and this is the judgment: the light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. Think about that. Judgment is darkness. And they love darkness rather than the light because their works are evil. Why would they like darkness rather than light? What does it say? They don't want to be exposed. They don't want the deeds to be exposed. How sad to run from light into darkness to hide sin... When the darkness is the judgment for the sin you think you're hiding. Sin is irrational. that darkness cause? You see despair in Pharaoh whereas in the next thing he's immediately saying take your little ones too even though I said this thing before. You see despair here in Revelation in anguish they're crying out and they curse God in anguish. When Christ dies and darkness comes it's a picture of the anguish he's feeling. The despair he's feeling. My God, my God why have you forsaken me? Is a cry of anguish. But the judgment he's feeling is not his own, it's ours. Yeah. Um, a reference to Shawshank Redemption, I watched that this past week. There's, um, y'all seen that? There's this, this old guy that Some runs the library there, and he's been there for like 45 years or whatever. And in prison, he's got a place. He, the walls, the judgment for the sin that he has done, he, he grows to, to like it, to enjoy it. And one of the last scenes, he's about to be let out, and he holds a knife to a guy's throat. He doesn't want to leave. He wants to commit a crime to stay in the darkness, in the judgment, in the prison walls. Mm. And Red, at the end, is kind of going through the same thing. They, they don't understand the outside world. They've grown to, to love prison. In prison, there's somebody. And, you know, it's the same kind of thing. that uh, People run to the darkness, even though the darkness is their judgment. It's the yeah. Same. And what's the picture there? The picture is that unless God breaks in and shines light, they're going to love the darkness. They're going to cling to judgment. Right. What an what irrational thing to do. But that's the nature of the heart that the Bible gives a picture of again and again. The, the, unless God moves, we freely choose what is irrational and perish. But God does move. I, I love this in Isaiah 9 too. He says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness on them, light is shine. And of course, that's a picture of Christ coming um, many hundred years before his, his actual advent. John will use it in John 1. He says, um, 
In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. He, he, the mercy in Christ uh, accomplishes, gets us out of, conquers the judgment that we are facing. The darkness doesn't overcome it. Um, he takes on the dark the judgment. We talked about that in Matthew twenty-seven forty-five. Colossians 1, 12-14, there's an allusion by Paul here. He says, uh, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Do you see how New Testament authors use the Old Testament? They pull in these ideas. They pull in... This, this imagery of judgment and darkness and talk in terms very stark. There's no, okay, there's, there's a kingdom of darkness, there's a kingdom of eh, and then there's a kingdom of light, right? There's no middle ground here. It's either judgment or mercy, forgiveness or death, right? It's, it's two stark kingdoms. And there's never really an, in, well, there's not. There's not an in-between place. What part does light have with darkness? Turn to Ephesians 5. We'll finish up here. What were you going to say, Laura? Is that what you're saying? I'm just going to read 1 through 16. Just listen. Let's let Paul preach for a little bit here. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Not as rejected, rebellious, hard-hearted, darkness, darkness in the heart of people. As beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Took on that dark judgment. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality... And all impurity or covetousness must not be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers with them. For at one time, you were darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness but instead expose them for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret but when anything is exposed by the light it becomes visible for anything that becomes visible is light therefore it says 
Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. What part does light have with darkness? If you've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son, that means something. If you're in Christ, we should be revolted by the rebellion against the goodness, rightness, and truth of God. We should be revolted by things that rail against the fruit of light. Um, I can... I don't just come off the wrong way, but I, I can tell a lot of times when someone is losing battle a, against sin, two things really happen. One, they avoid the preaching of God's word. They may come to social events, fireworks. They may come to that. And I'm not saying look for people who aren't here that are fireworks. <laughs> uh, they may come to social events, but they won't go to the preaching of God's word. They'll avoid, generally, I have, whenever I, I will avoid fellowship with believers. It, it's too much for me. If, I'm, if I am losing that battle and I'm liking the sin that I'm engaged in, I just don't want to be around people that are going to, hey, guess what God has done in my life. Have you been there? Do you know what I mean? Did everybody bow your head, raise your hand. This is my button. Um, if, if we are flirting with, partaking of the kingdom of darkness, we become irrational also. We avoid the preaching of the word, the proclaiming of the majesty and the beauty of Christ. We want to cling to this thing. We avoid the saints of the light because we cling to the darkness. Even as believers, we, we do that. We, we fall into that trap. Don't be deceived by that. Paul calls us not to be deceived by that. Um, it's interesting, the, the avoiding other believers thing. A, a lot of times it, it, it manifests itself and there's some petty disagreement that justifies why we're not getting with other believers. You know? Well, they did this to me, therefore I just can't, I just can't go back. I just can't forget. I just, it's the kind of thing. Um, it's, it's a trend of running from the light to darkness because the deeds are evil. Why lock arms with those who are going to be judged? Why cling to that kingdom? Come out from among them, Paul will say in other places. Find grace again at the cross. You know, and I, I, don't, I don't have uh, omniscience to know where everybody is. Um, and I'm glad you're here. And I'm not saying, you know, because you're here, then you're rocking on all cylinders with Jesus. If you're finding yourself clinging to things that are darkness rather than light, there's grace at the cross still. I, I want to do a lesson sometime on how do you know that you're saved? Because I think a lot of times we have this, this, this fear that when we get in a cycle of, of sin and, and, and discipline, Christians aren't judged, they're disciplined. We feel the weight of the darkness in our heart that we're flirting with. And yet, it's even worse because there's a real wrestling. We're not taking any joy in it, right? Um, that, that there's this despair that creeps in. There's a darkness that creeps in. Maybe I'm not really saved. Christians wrestle with sin. And I had this talk with Audrey this morning. 
not not because of some she was all she was reading through the Bible. She got into I don't outer here on them. Um, she was reading through Romans seven, and we're talking through what I want to do, I don't do what I don't want to do, I do. Who will deliver me from this body of death, wretched man that I am? She's like, well, what does that mean? Uh, think of it this way: uh, Emma has a doll. You want it, and it's all you can think about, and so you take it from her. You know, and, and you do something you don't want to do, and yet, are you saved? I mean, you're sinning. And so she's wrestling with that. We're wrestling with it this morning. There's, there are evidences in your life of if you're saved. And First John talks through that, and I really want to do a, a lesson on, on that. But, and I hate not doing it now, I'm bringing it up. Um, stick with us, we'll get there. Uh, but, but there's that struggle, there's that despair, there's that darkness that happens. Run to Christ. He took the darkness, that anguish, for us. Past, present, future sins on him. And that's the, that's the reality for the Christian. It's a reality for the unbeliever, too. Come out of the darkness into the light. There's the call from the, to the unbeliever, too. The general call, come. Right? Actually, if you're struggling, I think there should be some assurance there that, that God is not, that you are God's, and he's not letting you go. Like, Thank God for that, the struggle. That's why you're yeah. at a crisis point. Right. Because, right. Because you're not comfortable you're in the darkness. Right. Some, something we said earlier. Uh, about the darkness being judgment while you're in the darkness and you mm-hmm. run back to it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, kind of also a discipline type deal where it lets you into what you're dabbling in. Sure. Um, it's like, you want that? Okay. And then you're addicted and you're struggling with it. You can be sure that's, well, I guess that just makes you even more scared. <laughs> <laughs> but, in a way, I guess, with your convictions and the actions that you're taking. I, you know, I, t- I tell all my children, every one that comes to Christ is a prodigal son. Well, sometimes you go back to the pig pen, but he always brings you back if you're his. Mm-hmm. He always delivers you from that pig pen. Right, right. It's some, some trips to the pig pen are longer than others. But there is that faithfulness of God when we are unfaithful. Uh, any any other questions or comments on that? Was it good? Was it good? I think also when, when you fall into sin, you've messed up. I mean, you're not focusing on Christ. You don't see His glory, the work on the cross that you did. And when when you've done the sin, whatever, um, there's no need to dwell there and be like, oh man, I'm such a wretched person. Like, just get back to the cross. Look at Christ. Look at the work He did. Or, like, um, glory in that and find rest there. You don't have to stay in your sin. What do I need to do to make this better? And what does that say? You stay there dwelling on, oh, I've done this. I mean, it says, my actions saved me. Right. And, and that's not what Scripture teaches. It teaches that the grace of God invades. God's the one who turns the light on in your dwelling. Yes. Are you going to church? Are you hanging out with 
Christians, are you reading your Bible? Are you praying? And it's usually pretty much close to no, 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 no. And so, you know, you use the analogy, if you put water in the gas tank of your car and expect it to run, why do you get mad at the car when it doesn't run? God provides in Christ. He gave gifts to men, the means of grace, the means of, of, of pushing us forward in faith. And not just um, not just means of grace, but are you doing the opposite? Are you cutting off your right hand? Are you plucking out your eye? You know, you struggle with TV, quit watching TV, throw it out. You know, yeah. Computer's a problem, get rid of it. Yeah. Cell phone's a problem, throw it out. You know? Go carry a pigeon. These friends are. I'd much rather enter heaven without a cell phone bill than cast in hell with my cell phone. Um, all right. Any, any other comments? I know some of the, some of the struggles, I guess, emotionally that I've had is knowing that I need to go back to the cross and go back to there and not dwell on it. And just things have gotten wrong because my focus was not on Christ. Mm-hmm. But. I know I need to do that immediately, you know, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Where the show comes in motion, it's like, man, I'm not, is this being convicted? Am I, I'm not bent over, broken, crying in ashes, mm-hmm. sackcloth for my sin, although I know what I need to do. So it's kind of like, I don't know, that's just a hard-pressed uh, issue. I don't think I'm the only one. No, you're not. I think but, sometimes God calls us to obedience before those emotions come back of joy. Sometimes, at least for me, I've had to go, okay, and especially when I was adult age, you know, got to get back in the Word. I'm not saying I don't struggle with it, but but I've got to do these things whether I feel like it or not. I've got to discipline myself to do these things, and then God brings that. And part of the prayer of that, too. Part of the prayer of that, too. Emotions don't always... First. Well, and, and the psalmist, I mean, when Christ redeems us, he redeems not only our minds, the stuff we put in our heads, the Bible, the teaching, but he redeems our emotions. And and the psalmist will pray again and again, incline my heart to repent, incline my heart to love your law. The light has to be turned on in our dwelling. <laughs> the emotions come because the Spirit brings that as well as the knowledge of Christ and the it overwhelm. It will eventually overwhelm you, and and and, but but the, but we're called to faithfulness in spite of what we feel. Um, you know, I, I tell my kids. That's where growth happens. Uh, because I say, well, why do you? Well, I don't ask myself if I feel like it. I just don't ask myself. Why do you have a clean house? You know, you're going to have a, you can have a filthy house or you can have a clean house. No one feels like, well, unless you're weird. No one feels like cleaning. No one feels like doing laundry. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. But no, no, no normal person feels like cleaning and doing laundry and stuff. But if you're going to live in a clean house, you don't ask yourself if you feel like it, you do it. Okay. And there's so, many, there's so much self-discipline. That's where I need to start. <laughs> no, you just don't. I mean, so many people live by their feelings. Well, quit asking yourself if you feel yeah. like it. If you know it's something you're supposed to do. You don't ask yourself, do I feel like doing this now? You just do it. I just gauge myself by the coughing fit. <laughs> coughing too much. I think. A couple of verses I think that fit into what we're saying with what Stephen's saying is uh, there's the verse that says where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Right. The other way around. Right. And so, you know, if you, 
if your emotions aren't involved, that means your treasure isn't there. Your treasure has to be placed there first, which our treasure is our time, it's our duties, it's all that stuff. And then your heart will follow. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is, I think it's the last verse of uh, uh, Colossians chapter 2, like 23 or whatever. Uh, the summation of it is asceticism uh, is of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Asceticism is like mm -hmm. giving something up for a religious purpose. Right. The sackcloth, the ashes, the the mortification of sin, killing the sin in the body, giving up cell phone and whatever, that's all good, but without the gospel replenishing that, without the gospel transforming Romans 12 too, mm -hmm. it's, it's of no value. Right. The gospel is the true value in changing the heart. Yeah. Yeah. Because it has to wash your head. You can cut off the source of the dirt, but you still got to wash your head. Exactly. But when you're in the darkness, a lot of times to get back into the joy of the Lord, you have to do the obedience thing. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. You have to start reading your Bible. You have to start writing. And at first, you may not feel like it because your pride is kind of, you know, hurt. Your fellowship has been cut off. Your fellowship has been cut off. And so you have to You can't see your brothers and sisters in Christ. Aha. And you don't want to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Right? See how I did that? Shall we pray? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is light to us. What a grace that you um saw fit to reveal yourself to your people, to come down when you didn't have to, to expose yourself to our um, mishandling of your word, of our imperfect and finite understanding of your word, and yet you still come down and reveal yourself most clearly in your son. I, I, I love that phrasing that Paul uses, that he who said, let there be light, has shown in our hearts the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Do that for us again, we pray. Continually shine your face upon us. Let us know that you are, are ours, that you've called us out of darkness into light, and you've claimed us and are growing us up into the image of Jesus. Father, knit our hearts together as one body. Let us build each other up in love and knowledge and worship of you. Let's be concerned for each other and where we are and not just live in isolation. But be the community of light as you've called us to be. Pray for the service we're going into. Pray for Philip. Let him preach with boldness. Let us hear with boldness. Let us act upon it with boldness because we are yours. In Christ's name, amen.